This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com. I am not joined by Matt Myers today because Matt is off on a well-earned vacation, but in a little bit, Michael Clare is going to join us. Michael is a MLB.com colleague, but most recently he has been literally traveling the world all over the planet to find baseball in new and interesting countries. He's going to check out the WBC, and I'm really excited to talk to him. First, I think we are legally obligated, as anyone who has any sort of baseball show is this week, to talk at least a little bit about the Hall of Fame. Uh, the Hall of Fame induction or election is over. Scott Rowland got in 76.2%. That's a margin of five votes, which is one of the lowest of all time. And I, there's so many people who are getting kind of angsty about this because he didn't feel like a Hall of Famer. And I say he was the Nolan Arenado of his time. I would have voted for him on the first ballot the, when he was on a couple years ago. And I actually looked this up because I thought it was interesting. So you've probably seen that Roland, when he first got on the ballot, uh, had only 10% of the vote. You need 5% to stay on. You need 75% to get in. And his 10% debut was the lowest first ballot percentage of a player who eventually got in. And people are using this to say, oh, well, it's only 10% the first time. You know, how could people change their mind? And if you look at who the number two guy on that list, it's not Larry Walker. It's not Burp Levin, It's no one recent. It's Duke Snyder who got 17% back in 1970 and 10 years later got in with 87%. So make of that what you will, but this is not a recent issue. This is not just a thing that's happened now that you consider guys differently later. Literally Duke Snyder, who I don't know how he only got 17% in the first place. Like That seems insane to me. Duke Snyder is one of the all-time great center fielders who ever played. So we have talked uh, enough about the Hall of Fame ballot that I'm not going to dwell on this too long, but there's, there's really two things I wanted to touch on here. The first is... Um, Jeff Kent, who did not get in, so he was on for 10 years. Uh, he got 46% this year, uh, and now he's off. He's off the ballot because if you don't get in by your 10th year, you're off. He had an interesting comment. He sent a text message to Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm going to quote that here. The voting over the years has been too much of a head-scratching embarrassment. Baseball is losing a couple generations of great players that were the best in their era because a couple of non-voting stat folks keep comparing those players to players already voted in from generations past and are influencing the votes. It's unfair to the best players in their own era, and those already voted in, in my opinion. And I, I would say two things. First, I completely understand frustration that you know he's not going to get into the Hall of Fame, so per perfectly fine. I don't get the part about why it's bad to compare players to players already voted in, because it seems like the entire premise of the Hall of Fame is to compare players who aren't in with those who were in and those of their own generation. I mean, if you look at most of the good advanced metrics we have, you know, OPS plus, it's above replacement, all that, they are comparing players to those of their own generation. Uh, and then the next iterations of those, like Jay Jaffe does, it goes further in comparison to just players in the Hall of Fame. So I would not have voted for him. I know a lot of people would have, but I don't quite get this gripe. I mean, we're going to use stats. We are going to compare potential Hall of Famers to guys who are Hall of Famers. It just seems to be the way the process is going to work. The second thing I wanted to talk about, 
Uh, I just wanted to look ahead to next year real quick, right? Todd Helton got 72% this year. He's going to get in, as he should. Billy Wagner got 68%. He's probably going to get in. Uh, Andrew Jones, Carlos Beltran are, are going to be close. Next year, you're going to have Adrian Beltre. We slam dunk, as he should be. The interesting one, though, the one we're going to fight about the most, is going to be Joe Maurer. I think this is fascinating because if you, you, know, you look at his career, and I think a lot of people look at him and say, oh, yeah, absolute slam dunk. And I say, he's probably a Hall of Famer. I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I'd probably vote for him. But there's like there's a certain class of guys like the Willie Mays class, the Ken Griffey Jr. class, where it's like, I don't even have to think about it. It's like, of course, it's a Hall of Famer. I don't even need to look at the baseball card. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. Joe Maurer's not quite up there for me. I, I do think there's a conversation that you need to at least have, you know, especially because he, he moved out from behind the plate to first base for the end of his career. And, and he'll get there. I will probably vote for him. I can already just see like these are the new battle lines between people who are like, you're nuts if you don't consider him a Hall of Famer. And those of us who say, I think I'd like to think about it a little bit, but yeah, he'll probably get in. We'll take a quick break. We're going to be back with Mike Clare and talk about some international baseball. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mike Petriello, and I am joined by my friend, colleague, neighbor, bandmate, all sorts of things, uh, Michael Clare. Mike, hi. Um, I, there's like a thousand different things I want to ask you, but mostly you've become like the foremost international baseball traveler, I think, of the baseball world. Let me just make sure I've got all this right. Last year, you were in South Korea, Mexico City, and London for the Home Run Derby X. Then you went to Germany for the World Baseball Classic Qualifiers. That was last year. This year, you've already been to the Czech Republic for the World Baseball Classic Training Camp, and then London for London Series Prep. And then later this year, you're going to go to Tokyo and Miami. And despite the fact that you live like three blocks away from me, I think I see you more like on Zooms from the other side of the planet than in my neighborhood. Is that all correct? Yeah, it's insane when you say it like that, especially, you know, I don't think anybody's says I'm going to Prague for baseball and uh that's that's what happened and yeah it's wild that uh we have a better chance of seeing each other over this essentially zoom right now than actually in our neighborhood uh yeah it's uh, it, it's been wild and uh I you know you you said like foremost international I don't want to take that from JP Morosi I think that's still his uh his title to lose but if he wants to get in the ring and fight I'm down for it Sometimes I think, and I say this despite of you know where we both work, that when we say baseball, we maybe too often mean Major League Baseball when there's like baseball all around the planet and all around the globe. So when you think about these countries you've been to, like, yeah, baseball's huge in Mexico, baseball's huge in South Korea, no doubt about that. But in Germany, you know, the Czech Republic, even the UK to some extent, 
like what kind of baseball reception have you found? Like what's the interest or excitement levels in those places? So it's it's really funny because no matter where you go, baseball is its own community. You know, uh, I feel like we found ourselves obviously at MLB, but, you know, we would have been in similar circles even if we weren't colleagues because of baseball. And so in the Czech Republic, I think only 7,000 people play baseball in the Czech Republic. There's there's three divisions. I was told I could play for the third division. That's probably kind to me. I don't think they've seen me play yet. But, um, you know, I was surrounded by baseball people my whole weekend there. So to me, everything there is a big deal. And in Regensburg, everyone who was attending was standing up and cheering. Now, when I ran into someone in Germany who wasn't there, like a waiter, and they're like, what are you doing in town? And I say baseball, and they, get, they their answer was usually, there's baseball in Germany? So... It's one of those interesting things where not everyone knows about it. Um, not everyone is responsive to it. I believe it was a player on the German team. I'm, I can't remember if it was at this qualifier or the last one, but a woman came up to him. He was wearing a German baseball sweatshirt and said, German baseball? Ha ha, that's a good joke. But once you're in these communities, it is everything. It is as important as Major League Baseball. To the to the players in the Czech Extra League, that is the league. They have their own baseball card set. They have their own Fangraphs website, Baseball Stats CZ. If you want the advanced stats of the Czech Extra League, that's there for you and it exists. So the pockets might be smaller, but the passion and the community and the wanting to share that with people is the same, whether it's America, Korea, Germany, Czech Republic. I got to ask. So you were in uh, the United Kingdom recently and you tweeted out some pictures of a what you you called a U.S. style dive bar called Home Run House. Yes. And I'm looking at some of the pictures here. I, am I correct? And uh, obviously go see Michael's uh, Twitter to see these at Michael S. Claire on Twitter. Um do they have like the names of and players and home run distances written in tile on the floor? Like I'm seeing a big tile that says Nomar Mazzara 505. And are they just keeping track of this in England and writing it on the floor? Because that yes. looks amazing to me. Yes. So the the operator that runs Home Run House is called Passyunk Avenue. It, it That is a chain of Philadelphia dive bars in London. Um, I sat down and, and JP is the guy who, who owns it. He's from Philly, big Philly guy. Um, hilariously, they serve cheesesteaks and they're actually really, really good. Uh, they have to come up with their own cheese sauce because uh, American Cheese Whiz does not meet EU standards for what is a food essentially. So, um, it, so, so that, that, that's its own story, but basically he ended up teaming up with MLB UK and at London stadium, right where the London series games are, there is home run house. And yes, they keep track of all the home runs on the floor. There are batting cages hooked up with essentially hit track style, um, information so if you don't put a boost on like if you look at the the leaderboard on the wall for guys in in town who have hit the longest home runs they're like 350 feet because without the boost it's as hard as in the major league supposedly uh i can't hit it all so like i am not the right person to really put this system through the test uh but they show the games there i was there there were they had football games that were live on the tv but then they also had the wild card games on uh the the baseball wild card games on the other tvs so baseball is always on there 
Uh, everything there is designed for baseball. They're, they're going to have watch parties for Great Britain in the World Baseball Classic. They're going to have a huge watch party on opening day. Uh, Chase Utley now lives in London. He's signed uh, some jerseys on the wall. Uh, he's now, you know, an, an MLB international ambassador. So, you know, he hangs out and answers questions. And uh, the the manager of this bar historically was not a baseball fan. So, of course, his first question, Chase Utley, was about his hair because of uh, Always Sunny. And he said even in the Silver Fox days, his hair is beautiful. But if, if, if you're in England and you want baseball and you want to talk baseball, then uh, Home Run House, right by London Stadium where West Ham plays, that's the spot for you. You know, I'm looking at these lists of home run distances they have in the tile on the floor. And at least from this one shot, I don't know if there's other portions of it or whatever, but it looks like it's just showing 2019. Like they're clearly not updating it as time goes on. And I'm wondering if, you know, European fans go in here and say, great baseball, we're going to learn about baseball. Wow, these these names are written in stone on the floor. These must be the gods of baseball. Well, Nomar Mazzara, Rangel Ravello, and Ian Desmond are the top three names. Are we giving people in Europe the impression that these are the superstars of baseball? I'm still waiting for the Nomar Mazzara breakout. I still fully believe in it. Uh, I saw that swing rookie year with the Rangers. I, yeah, I, I just like some GMs aren't going to give up on him, I'm not giving up on him. So, yeah, you know what? Those are. I, 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 I did talk to him, and, and basically, Home Run House opened uh, right before the pandemic. They opened this brand new place and then for, you know, six months to a year uh, couldn't have anybody actually inside. So maybe that's why the the floor is out of date a little bit. Uh, But, you know, I'll give them a call. I'll say, hey, it's really time to update this. Uh, And why don't we add in some of those fake distances like the 560 Mickey Mantle, the, I don't know, 620 Babe Ruth at like University of Tampa or whatever. No, those are real. Those are definitely real. (laughs) Uh, listen, for a lot of January, you were in Prague or in and around Prague in the Czech Republic. I'm told that you accidentally broke baseball news and ended up on Czech TV talking about baseball. What happened there? So those fortunately are two different things. Thank God. If it was a big enough deal that I was on TV, I'm, I'm not sure I'd be talking to you now. But um, I was with Martin Chervenka. Uh, if the name is familiar to you, he is the biggest Czech baseball star in at least 70 years. The last Czech baseball player to reach the majors, I think, was 1952. But that is actually technically now Slovakia. So there's a debate over is that player Czech or not. Uh, Chervenka got to AAA. Uh, you know, he was on prospect list for the Orioles and the Mets. He came so close. Recently, he returned uh, to play for Eagles Praha, Eagles Prague. Uh, that Peter Zima is the captain of the Czech national team. His parents founded that club. Um, and at the end of the year, he sw- uh, they, they made an announcement right before I got there that he was going to switch teams. But there had been no announcement for what team he was going to. In our conversations together, he mentioned who he'd been practicing with. So I just assumed this was public information and said, I'm with Martin Chervanka, Czech national team player and, and uh, star hitter for star catcher for Tempo Praha, the other major Prague team. Uh, turns out that is not, that was not public information yet. And I felt terrible, you know, I listen, Ken Rosenthal's do it. And that's just not what I was interested in. And, um, you know, hopefully that I didn't ruin the, the big team announcement that's going to come from Tempo because, uh, you know, they'll be super excited. I think that's his childhood team. And then Czech TV just was there while we were covering one of the training camp days for the Czech national team. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to them that Major League Baseball wanted to come out and be with these guys who aren't Major League players. And that's, you know, kind of the point is that 
even though we are MLB, we understand that baseball is not just Major League Baseball. There's, you know, Japanese professional baseball, Korean professional baseball, Cuban professional baseball, Czech, semi-pro baseball, and uh, it's a big deal to have baseball in all these places. On your way home from the Czech Republic, you went to the UK, as we just talked about the bar, um, because you were helping to prepare for this year's, I guess it's called the London Series, right? The Cubs and the Cardinals will be playing there in June. Did you get to go to the London Stadium at all? Because this is where the Yankees and Red Sox played a couple years back. And my main memory about that is like the 950 home runs that were hit in that series. And I'm just curious when you, you know, if you looked around, what, what did it look like? Did it look like a place that the ball would fly or what does that, what does that feel like? So it, it is weird. So I, I was there. There was a big walk through that weekend. Uh, one thing I don't think I ever realized is when you have a baseball game at a stadium like this, it's not just the field that has to change. There are clubhouses and locker rooms you have to build, and there has to be a place for press to go and MLB support staff and oh, the place that families usually sit isn't going to work this time around. Where do they, you know, there, there's a whole infrastructure you have to set up. You have to figure out how you're going to bring lockers in. I This was my first time seeing a Premier League dressing room. You could fit half an MLB clubhouse in there or <laughs> the away clubhouse at Fenway. Like, it's very small. So, like, they have to find a different place to put all these guys and all the coaches and everything that are coming. So that's the first thing that surprised me. I was like, oh, yeah, it's not just the field that's changing. Uh, the dimensions are going to change a little bit this year. Um, I'll have an art. I, I spoke with Murray Cook, who does the field building for uh, all our locations. Um, I'll have a story with him coming up. But the, the field dimensions and the field direction is going to change a little bit. I think we're going to add a um, dozen or so feet uh, to the outfield wall, which again is something you have to like sit down and figure out what seats can move at West Ham. Where can home plate go? And if home plate moves, where's, where's the foul lines going to be? Like you have to build all these things. And not only is that the consideration, but how is the turf going to work? How is the ball going to bounce on the turf? We're coming in here for a couple weeks. We have two games, but it has to – they have 18 days to build it, and they have to figure out how to turn it into an MLB-quality field in that time. Uh, the, the work they, they do it with this and the terms they use – I'm not in front of my notes, so I can't tell you any of the terms. Uh, I didn't realize turf and turf objects was uh, such a – uh, minefield of data and information to to go through. I'm going to go back to last year for a second. You traveled to uh, Korea, Mexico, and London for Home Run Derby X, which if people don't know what it is, it's basically bringing the most exciting part of baseball to a community that doesn't know the ins and outs. It's like, hey, let's see people destroy baseballs, and that's super cool, and there were former major leaguers and everything. Um, but there are also people who participated who are, are not former major leaguers or in some cases not even like baseball players at all. Were there any athletes who really stood out to you in those travels as someone who's like, wow, that, that person can really swing? Yeah, so it was really interesting. Uh, every team was made up of a, of a former major leaguer, a uh, player from that country. So in Britain, it was young players from Great Britain's development system. In Mexico, it was uh, minor leaguers with Mexican heritage. Uh, I believe the Red Sox players, Dominican uh, and Manuel Valdez. Uh, in Korea, it was former Korean stars, some of the biggest names ever. Um, but the, 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 oh, and then the fourth was a women's baseball or softball player. And the, the, the wild cards, that was the name for the, the content creators that had never played baseball before. Uh, there was a speed skater, Yoongi Kwok, who 
has the biggest thighs I've ever seen and is a silver medalist, but he couldn't hit the ball more than like a hundred feet because he never got the sort of timing, right? Like this was a, a great way to show that like baseball is incredibly hard. You have a guy who his body is made for sports. He has amazing athletic ability, but because he hasn't spent 25 years of his life training for this one very specific skill, he can't get his body to figure it out. I think Johnny Gomes said that he wanted to try speed skating in Korea to show people that like, I can play baseball. I can't speed skate. Yoongi might not be able to play baseball, but he can do something I can't do. Um, So that is just like one of those things, a reminder that baseball is so hard. Uh, two of the players that stood out the most that were the most surprising, I think, were uh, Erica Piancastelli. She is a professional softball player. She plays uh, her year in Athletes Unlimited in America, and then she plays professionally in Japan, and she's on Italy's softball team. She was the MVP in London. Her uh, her swing, her ability to put bat on ball uh, was amazing. And then Jocelyn Allo, who people might know as the all-time NCAA home run leader in softball or baseball. She was a softball player at Oklahoma. She's now professional at Athletes Unlimited. She hit the longest home run in any of the parks, in any of the events. Nick Swisher didn't. Johnny Gomes didn't. Jocelyn Allo did. Uh, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. She has got more power in her swing than I've ever seen. So I think the, the best thing about Home Run Derby X, and there was a lot of cool stuff, was seeing that, yeah, these talented women are not just talented Ball players, but they are some of the most talented ball players that ever stepped on the field. And then the next couple of weeks, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about the World Baseball Classic coming up. You're going to go to Tokyo and Miami to see more World Baseball Classic in person. That's that's the plan. I'll be in Tokyo for the pool play uh, where the Czech Republic will finish. You know, who knows? Maybe the Czech Republic will surprise everybody and get past Japan and Korea. That's going to be really tough. Um I think their main goal is probably automatically qualify for 2026. It's the first time I think that we, at the time of the World Baseball Classic, know when the next one's going to be, which is super exciting. Um, I mean, Japan and Korea are two favorites for this thing. You look at Japan's roster, and it is just absolutely loaded. Beyond Shohei Otani, Roki Sasaki, nearly back-to-back perfect games. We've got the reigning uh, NPB MVP winner at third base on the team, Seiya Suzuki, Yoshida, who just joined the Red Sox, Yu Darvish. Like, Japan has won the first two events and finished third the last two times, and I honestly have a hard time seeing who can beat them. Uh, And then, yeah, I'll head to Miami for uh, quarterfinals, semis, and and finals. And, uh, yeah, you know, I've always been a World Baseball Classic fan, but it seems like this is the year that all the big name players we want are are signing up and taking part. So yeah, Myers and I have been talking about this a lot the last couple of weeks. We're like getting pretty jazzed to actually watch this. It's like it's been so long since we've had one. I can't believe one's actually coming soon. Claire, Michael, thank you so much uh, for your time. Make sure you follow Michael, Michael S. Claire on Twitter and at MLB.com and occasionally playing in the subway ghosts here in Brooklyn with me once he's in town, which, you know, clearly he never is. We'll be right back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Our great thanks to Mike Claire. It was a lot of fun to talk about international baseball. There's a couple of topics, a couple of trades that happened. I just want to touch on quickly. Um, most of these oddly happened in the American League Central. So there's actually four American League Central things to get to here. The first one, Minnesota and Miami finally made the trade that we've been talking about forever. 
uh, Minnesota traded Luis Arise to the Marlins for starter Pablo Lopez and a couple of minor leaguers in Jose Salas and Brian Jorio. And I got to say, I don't love this for Miami. I, If you go back to the beginning of the offseason, they made extremely clear, we want to make more contact, which is fine. They struck out a ton last year, the fifth highest strikeout percentage uh, and the third lowest selecting percentage. We actually have talked about the Marlins a lot recently. So to get a guy like Arise who makes a ton of contact and you know, has has shown over the years that he's got above average BABIP skills, like that's fine. He'll make them better. It just seems to me like they kind of went out and said, we are going to get batting average. Everything else be damned. And I, I kind of think that's how you end up talking yourself into a trade like this, because there's some ripple effects here. Luis Arise is never a great defender. And the Twins seemed pretty clearly like, it's not a good defender. He's had some knee problems. It's like a first base DH type for us. Well, the Marlins are going to play him at second base, and they're going to move Jazz Chisholm to center field, which I don't mind that much. Uh, Chisholm seems extremely excited about it, open and good for him, and that's fantastic. But now you're going to have a rise at second, and I don't know, Joey Wendell at third, excuse me, shortstop, and that's a below average uh, at best defensive middle infield, which I, I just... I'm not so sure about that. I like it a lot better for the Twins, not only because Lopez is a good pitcher, but because they got a couple of interesting hitting prospects for it. But, you know, this was a trade that was always going to happen. I like it for the Twins. I actually like two trades for the Twins. So this is the second AL Central topic. They traded for Michael Taylor from uh, Kansas City, who's going to be a center fielder. He's not a big name. But if you have followed Michael Taylor, who has been a guest on this podcast, actually, phenomenal defensive center fielder, like elite, top five in the game. He is going to be a perfect fit here because Byron Buxton, who's great, is very rarely healthy. Last year, he played 92 games. He's only played about half the game since 2016. And when he was out last year, they had to play Gilberto Celestino, who wasn't that great. And if you think about a defensive outfield with Taylor, Buxton, and Max Kepler, that's phenomenal. That's so good. And I like it for the Royals, too. Taylor turns 32 in March. He's going to be a free agent. They're not going anywhere. They don't need a defensively oriented 32-year-old outfielder. So I like that one. But I didn't like the next one so much. So here's the third thing that happened in Central. The Royals traded shortstop, I guess in name at the moment, uh, Adalberto Mondesi to the Red Sox. Mondesi has been around for so long that he played for Kansas City in the World Series, which tells you how long ago this has been. He actually made his debut in the 2015 World Series, but he's still only 27. He's only played 100 games one time. Set problems with his shoulder, his groin, his hamstring, his oblique last year. He hurt his knee, you name it. And the Red Sox pretty clearly are saying, well, we're willing to take the gamble because we lost Bogarts. Story got hurt. You're desperate for middle infield help. And all it cost them was Josh Taylor, who turns 30 in March, has 102 career innings, did not play last year in the majors because of a back injury. Now Kansas City's left side on defense is potentially Bobby Witt at shortstop and Hunter Dozier at third base which is maybe the weakest defensive left side in baseball. So love that one for Boston, not so much for Kansas City. And finally, because we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, I went through all the numbers. We did the research. We tried to figure out what the new dimensions at Comerica Park will mean for the Tigers. Now, we've talked a lot about how deep it is and what's going to happen. I wanted to share some interesting numbers with you here. Since StatCast began tracking in 2015, there have only been 24 batted balls projected to go 420 feet or more that ended up being outs. 15 of them are at Comerica. Six were at Coors. One was at Giancarlo Stanton Laser Beam in Miami. And this is my favorite one. The last two were in Houston, but to a part of the field that doesn't exist anymore. 
because the Astros pulled in their own insanely deep center field. So you can't even do that anymore. And if you look at the last four seasons at Comerica, we found with a huge caveat here that I'll explain in a second, 54 non-homers that likely would have gone out of, of the new dimensions, right? 54 over four years, more like three and a third years because of 2020s. It's not that much. It's 15 or so uh, a year. It may look like it's not going to help the Tigers because 18 of those were by Detroit hitters and 36 were allowed by Detroit pitchers. But last year, only two teams had a lower average fly ball distance than Tiger hitters in the first place. If you're not hitting it that far, then none of this actually matters. So that's part of it. Here's the thing, though. If you look at those 54 non-homers, 38 of them were hits, you know, mostly doubles, couple triples. 16 of them were outs. But seven of those outs were robbed home runs. They would have gone over either set of walls, except there were outfielders there. And if you look at what they're doing, they're pulling in not just the center field distance in, but the fences down to seven feet all the way around. So you're going to see a lot more robberies, which is going to be cool and fun to watch, but it may not actually add the offense that people think it will. So I think this is still going to be an extreme pitcher's park. It'll be a little bit better, but it's going to be a lot more exciting. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.